Welcome back to Stacking Wood with Josh and Travis Wyman. I'm Josh. I'm still up in the reaches of Vermont. It's very cold. Uh, and Travis is still in L.A. How's it going, Travis? Pretty good, baby. Just enjoying the brilliant sunset out here. We, it was blood orange, blood reddish orange. Yeah. You kind of yeah. have a swagger today, I think. I do. We're in Hollywood, baby. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's uh I'm glad you had a nice sunset. Yeah, uh, good to see you again. Yeah, good to good to hear from you. Uh but I'm excited because today we have a special guest uh that I'm, I really am excited to talk to, uh George Oz. Uh he's uh he's the creator of the best page in the universe. It's a website. It's very popular. Uh he has written 3 books uh the Alphabet of Manliness, uh, I'm Better Than Your Kids, and The Alphabet of Man- Manliness was a New York Times bestseller, and he has a new book coming out called Fuck Whales, which uh, is very funny. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we performed with him at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, and he's uh, just a funny guy. And uh, how's it going, George? Great. Thank you for having me, and thanks for that wonderful introduction yeah no <laughs> thank problem. you so much uh, you yeah. did your homework and everything <laughs> yeah, did my homework. yeah you're sitting right here with me josh yeah, yeah. you need to come so, out you need to come out and hang out with everybody oh i'll be out yeah i want to come out pretty soon but uh yeah so you guys are in uh george's studio right now yeah yeah it's pretty much set up and turnkey so we just hit record and we had these uh, the studio system set up with the webcams and everything. We're looking at Josh. Josh is looking at us, which is great. Yeah. yeah. This wouldn't be possible in the 80s. We'd just kind of no. dial one of those old rotary phones and hope for the best. And, oh, yeah. Like hit record on a tape player, maybe, uh, so next much, to the phone. <laughs> such simpler times. I know. I kind of miss it. I kind of miss that. I was talking to someone today about the etiquette of being online and how mm-hmm. it's such a new thing. We are developing tools faster than we are developing the etiquette and the rules of conduct. Like nobody really knows what is appropriate or inappropriate online, like how to conduct yourself, what kind of conversations you should have. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows at dinner time the impolite conversations are politics and religion. Uh, and that that's, you know, those, those rules, those unspoken rules came to be about over decades of, of time and, and, you know, tried and true tested etiquette, mm-hmm. but we don't have that online. So today everything's the wild west. Yeah. Especially yeah. if you have like a kind of like a profile that no one can tell who you are, you know, like a secret profile, yes. you can anonymity. get on those message boards. Yeah. Anonymity. Mm-hmm. You can just do what you want. Yeah. Do you, yeah. uh, have you ever had an anonymous, uh, well, you had you had Maddox, uh, so was that that was anonymous to begin with, right? Uh, it was to begin with, yeah. And uh, eventually, I got outed. I didn't think that I would be in this article, but uh, I did an interview with the Boston Globe, and oh, the yeah. the yeah the journalist I did an interview with um, outed me. I don't I don't think she had any ill intent. I think she mm-hmm. just was being a journalist, and she posted my real name in the article. And that's how I really got outed. Was the Boston Globe. Oh, when was that? That was a long time ago. That was like 2004, 2005, 2004, 2003, something around that around then. Oh, okay. And yeah. but before that though, when did you like first start the web create the website? Just one day you came home and were you were like I want to make I I started my website, website in No, it was in 1997. Mm-hmm. So I I created I 
I had an internet service provider, and I still do. It's the same one I've used for over 20 years. Oh, yeah. Same account, same login, everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Xmission, and it's in Utah. It's a Utah-based internet service provider, and I really like them. I think they're a mm-hmm. good company, and the, the guy who owns it is a stand-up dude, and I really like their, their, uh, their, their policies and their ethic and their service. So I've stuck with them. And uh, when you sign up for an internet service account, they give you some free web space. And I had the space, and I thought, well, I'm not doing anything with it. I might as well create a page called the best page in the universe. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> I kind of created it as a, as a joke and just, you know, a little, a little goof. But I thought eventually, over time, people will eventually have to refer to my website by its name. Mm-hmm. And now when you Google the best page in the universe, it's the first link that comes up. Oh, that's awesome. So, that, yeah, that's how it kind of came about. And that was in 1997. Yeah, so it's funny, like, at the time when you did the very first post, you know, you probably didn't realize what it would become back then, right? Oh, no, I knew. I knew, Travis. It was going to be huge. You knew? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Confidence. That's awesome. No, I I, I didn't. It was just kind of a goof for a little while. Mm. But I looked at my access logs. And for those who aren't familiar, you know, with the technical side of things, an access log is basically just that it's a log of all the people who access your website Mm -hmm. so i would look at this thing and i would notice every every few weeks or so i'd get a little blip on it and i thought oh my god somebody is reading my stuff Mm -hmm. who's who's how are they even finding it who's reading my stuff you know it was like five people per month and that that thrilled me that tickled me so much that Mm -hmm. anyone cared about what i had to say Yeah, yeah and so i continued writing and and over time it became a couple hundred and then i had a big breakthrough in 19 or in 2002 Oh. And that was when I wrote an article called I Am Better Than Your Kids. <laughs> and uh, I graded children's artwork and gave them mostly Fs, and that went super viral. Oh, yeah, I do. I remember that. Yeah, yeah that's, mm-hmm. the one, that's what really put me on the map. Mm-hmm. My website went from a few thousand hits per day to a few million overnight. Was that, was that published in a magazine as well? I'm Smarter yeah. Than Your Kids? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I read it in a magazine for the first time. Well, now, and now it's a book. Yeah, now it's a book. It was published in a bunch of magazines, actually. I think FHM published it, and uh, I don't know. It went super viral. I, it, it, it's, it got set, sent around in an email forward to the point where people were sending it back to me. And, <laughs> and they didn't realize <laughs> they that didn't you realize, created it? Yeah, yeah, and I would write back, and I'd say, yeah, I wrote it. <laughs> this is really funny, but I wrote it. And where did you find the children's art? Just kind of like online? You'd yeah, all over. All yeah, over yeah. the place, yeah. I, uh, I, I don't remember exactly where, but uh, I had some of them be submissions mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, just some crap. And wh- wait, where were you living when you started the website? Was that... It was a Utah base? Utah. Oh, Utah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so yep. you grew up in Utah then? Yeah. And- Born and raised. I lived there 27 years, and then I came out to L.A. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, cool. And like, uh, like Salt Lake City or... Um, nearby Salt Lake City, yeah. But I, I did live in Salt Lake City. I lived right near the state capital for a while. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. Salt Lake City, yeah. Very weird, very weird city. Were you able ever able to go into the big uh, uh, Mormon temple? The temple? No. Oh, no, okay. you're not allowed. You're not allowed unless you're Mormon and mm-hmm. you have to have a temple recommend. And... Um, that means you talk to a bishop and then they interview you and then they decide if you're, you know, worthy of going into the temple Mm. and you can't go into the temple on Sundays because it's not a place of worship. It's a place of work. Uh, they, they work on baptizing people who are, who have been deceased, who haven't been baptized, that sort of thing. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a little bit like a guarded thing, you know, for, Mm. for people who are. Mormon or LDS, as they like to be called, uh, which stands for Latter-day Saints. 
Yeah, I've heard you can't go in. I was just wondering if maybe since you had lived there, you knew ways to like check it out. But it probably just looks like a normal church inside. I, I have been inside one, and the only way you can get inside one is before it is it is. Uh, I forget the the term, but sealed mm-hmm. essentially, and or, or blessed. So once it's sealed, then you can't go in anymore. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. and when you do go in as the general public, it's only for a week or two while it's an open house, and then it becomes sealed, and then you can no longer go in. You oh. have to wear slippers. Inside the temple, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I just so. pictured when you said sealing it, I pictured a large Ziploc bag, and they're just like, you know, pressing the seal. <laughs> Over the entire building? Yeah. You know, I pictured, I know I know what it is, but I still pictured, like, uh, ninjas, you know, where they throw that seal on the door, and it keeps, like, the demons out or whatever, or, <laughs> yeah. or like, a big wax seal, you know, the, the, the Japanese it. seal. Yeah, they stamp it, and it's yeah. like, oh, that's it. You're done. You're not getting through here. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, so but you so you started the page though in Utah and yeah. and then you would just update it and I think we're about the same age, so you're probably like in high school, junior high. Yeah, I was in high school, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or um no, I was sixteen years old when I started it. So yeah, mm-hmm. I was uh was that high? yeah, that is high school. Yeah. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that is high school. So I, I was in high school when I started. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. And did you did your friends know you were doing it or it was kind of like a Batman type thing? Like you'd go home and just do it and not let them know about it? Or? My my closest friends knew I was doing it, mm-hmm. but um uh not my not outside of my immediate friends. And it was kind of it was kind of a fun thing to to poke fun at them as well. Like I had a friend who was a vegetarian and I wrote this article, a bunch of articles, like trashing on vegetarians and that sort of thing. <laughs> he didn't know, yeah. No, I mean he knew. I was, you know, I was being a dick about it, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was it was kind of my anonymous, mostly anonymous outlet to write. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that is kind of freeing, you know, because sometimes like I have a Twitter account that's just at Travis Wyman, and it's my, you know, it's me. So like everything I say, people are gonna, you know could trash me for it or yeah. do whatever, you know. Yeah, but, it was very liberating. The anonymity was very liberating. I was able to write much more freely mm-hmm. than I am today. Mm-hmm. Did you Unless, ever who knows, did you maybe ever have ta- another secret one? <laughs> oh, yeah. sir. Not yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry Josh, what were you going to say? Oh, did you talk to the reporter that doxed you? Uh No, I don't think so. Not since not since the article was published and um you know, again, I don't think she meant any ill will. She was just uh, being a reporter. And I didn't, to be fair, I didn't specify that she couldn't or shouldn't publish my name. I just thought it was understood. But uh, she did. And so that was that. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and then what made you want to come to L.A., though, from Utah? Did you just kind of decide one day that? Well, in L- I was at a crossroads. After my first book came out, The Alphabet of Manliness, mm-hmm. it was a New York Times bestseller. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a chunk of change and... I thought, well, I have a decision to make. I can stay in Utah, settle down, buy a house, and that would be the end of my life. Or <laughs> <laughs> or I could take a risk and come out to L.A., take a chance, and follow some of these, these leads that I had in Hollywood and see what happens. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do that and came out here and, uh, you know, did, did that, that, that whole thing. And, mm. you know, I've been out here ever since. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah I feel like... Yeah, did you have someone, do you still know that person that was kind of like your the person you knew to bridge your coming out here? You know, because Josh and I, we, we worked on an independent movie in New Hampshire, and we kind of knew a guy that lived out here, so it wasn't totally just coming out yes. naked, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I made a friend uh, with this lady who was a big-time, like, Hollywood writer, 
and she had a long, long career. She wrote the movie Encino Man. Oh, yeah. And Mm -hmm. uh, I became really good friends with her, and she kind of was my mentor uh, and helped me, uh, you know, took me under her wings. I literally flew out here and slept on on her couch, and she told me, this was before like maps, you know, Google Maps. This was before, even before MapQuest. Mm-hmm. So she literally gave me directions on how to get from LAX to Hollywood. And there were <laughs> yeah. like handwritten directions. And I printed, I, I, or it was like typed, hand typed directions. And I printed them out. Mm-hmm. And there was like nine steps. And basically the steps were go to La Cienega and take a left and then just keep driving. <laughs> until, until, and to this day, that those, Directions are still very spot on. Mm-hmm. If I don't ever need to, you know, if I don't have my GPS or if my battery's dead or whatever, I just know if I go to La Cienega and head north, you know, if I take a left, I'm going to get to Hollywood. Yeah, to get up to Hollywood. Yeah. It's funny, yeah, how we, we gravitate to Hollywood. Like Josh and I, we didn't know where else any other part of the city was like, so we just moved into a place like on Gordon Street in Hollywood. In Hollywood, yeah. Yeah, we just yeah. looked around and found a, one of those old converted motels. You yeah. Know, so... Yeah, well, that's cool. And then you stayed with her for a little while, and she, I, I, yeah, that was only for like a couple of weeks. Um, I was mm-hmm. in and out, and she was helping me set up meetings and things like that. And so she, she was, um, she reached out to me when my website first blew up, and she's, she was such a solid, just like one of the most solid people I've ever met in Hollywood. And mm-hmm. I was so lucky to meet her and another guy named Mason Novick. And Mason is, uh, uh, he's a, he's a, his career's really taken off. He's a huge producer and manager now. He, at the time, he was working for Bender Spink. And Bender Spink, for those who don't know, is a production and management company. They did all the American Pie movies, mm-hmm. uh, Butterfly Effect, you know, um, all, all those movies. And he worked with Diablo Cody, who wrote the, uh, the movie Juno. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. so he's managed her career and uh, blossomed. Anyway, he's another guy I talked to, and he's just one of the most stand-up, straight shooters I've ever met. Uh, another one is my friend uh, Justin, who I'm still really good friends with, and he's from Boston, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and I met him when he was working at, in the mailroom at Paramount, and we became really good friends, and we're still really good friends, and uh, our careers just kind of came up together. He went to, into the development route, and I went into creative. Oh, cool. Oh, nice. Uh, so and, ju- and do you still do you still stay in touch with the uh, your mentor f- that wrote Encino Man? Is she yes. still around? Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, when I was moving in Los Angeles, I decided to send her an email, and I said, uh, "Hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. I'm just checking in and see what you're up to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm moving to this new uh, this new address." And she said, "Well." Uh, what is it? And I told her the cross streets and she goes, Oh my God, I live on those cross streets. And I said, Oh really? And I told her the specific street and she goes, I live on that street. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And then I told her my house number and she told me her house number and hers was across the street from mine. Oh really? Yeah. Just by <laughs> chance. <laughs> Serendipity. That's crazy. Yeah. And so I, uh, we, you know, we, we, our friendship grew closer and I started, you know, watching her cats when she left that, when she left town and we became really good friends and she still, still are. She is in North Carolina at the moment. She, she took a teaching job, uh, as a professor of screenwriting in North Carolina, I believe. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, that's a cool, yeah. You can always go to academia after you've, uh, proven yourself out there, I guess. It's yeah. a nice change of pace, I think. Yeah. yeah, like what uh, Michael Showalter, I think, did that for a while. Academia, I think, is a, is a bit of a breath of fresh air because you <laughs> you talk to people who are not jaded yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, a, what a breath of fresh air when you talk to somebody <laughs> who's not in the industry, 
mm-hmm. you know, so people who are still optimistic and not crushed. <laughs> well, that's one, one thing that like I did, I, I enjoyed out in Boston um, when I was living in Boston was there are, they are making movies there, you know, like Matt Damon or somebody will come back and, or Melissa McCarthy, I think did heat there. But uh, for the most part, it's not as much like a movie town. So people, you know, they live kind of normal lives in Boston and they're not caught up in like what's on page one of variety for the week, yeah, <laughs> week and yeah. stuff like that. So that was kind of like refreshing, you know? Yeah. It's so, nice. Yeah. I never take for granted how weird Hollywood is. Mm-hmm. And I never want to take this for granted. I never want to take any of it for granted, the good or the bad, mm-hmm. uh, because it is a weird, weird place, a weird world. When your friends come out, uh, especially your friends from back home, when they come out, to, and Josh, you can probably speak to this, but when, when your, your friends and family come out, they um, ask you about parking, and you say, oh, there's no parking. And they're like, what do you, <laughs> what do you mean there's no parking? We got to park our car somewhere. And you try to kind of explain to them how, no, not really. You really don't have parking. Yeah. Most places don't have parking. And it is a huge battle that you fight every day just to survive in Los Angeles. Oh, like moving the cars around for yeah. sweeping and everything? Moving the cars yeah. around for street sweeping. And then most apartments don't come with parking. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of... You know, first come, first serve for, for street parking, and you have two-hour limits, and you get your car towed. Yeah, because yeah. you, you don't drive, right? I don't drive very much anymore, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, thankfully, I don't have to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Didn't you... That, did you... You used to ride your bike a little bit, right? Yeah. We were just... Uh, Travis and I were just talking about that right before the show. I'm a big bike rider. I love riding my bike, uh, and I think that's the best way to get around Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. You, My average speed on a bike is about 12 miles per hour, mm-hmm. and... I will use a pace car when I'm going someplace. Like, I remember I was driving from, I was riding my bike from the west side in Los Angeles to Upright Citizens Brigade, the improv theater. Mm. And uh, it, when you tell your friends from out of town that it's only a mile away, they say, oh, that should take you a couple minutes. And mm. you're like, no, 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 it'll take about an hour. Anything <laughs> a mile in LA is about an hour of traffic. Yeah. Uh, so I use a pace car. I look at a car that's traveling in the same direction as me, and I keep. Uh, I keep it in mind. I, I remember what it looks like. I remember the license plate, everything. And then I will keep track of that car to see how I do in, re- relative to that car. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes I will beat that car to my destination. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. On a bike. On a bike. Yes. That's that's great. And the person driving that car has no idea that you've no. marked them and they, they've been <laughs> part of this whole thing in your mind. Oh, like, yeah. Like, when I drive, I have all sorts of like... Uh, rivalries and a- I make allies with people they don't even know. <laughs> I see someone who cuts someone off, else off, but they do it in a, in like a a, a broy way, you know, mm-hmm. a, a gentlemanly way. Some people drive like assholes, but I look at them like, well, God bless you, because because there's a way to do it <laughs> where you're not inconveniencing anyone else. What cut into the traffic? Yes, I am a big fan of cutting people off. Mm-hmm. If you cut if you but but <laughs> if you cut someone off, you have to do it in a way that doesn't inconsiderate. Uh, 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 excuse me, that doesn't, uh, uh, that isn't inconsiderate, that doesn't throw them off, Mm -hmm. right? That doesn't inconvenience them. That's what I was trying to say. If you do it in a way that doesn't inconvenience anyone, you are doing the world a favor because you are getting to your destination quicker and making one less car on the road. Mm -hmm. God bless you. That's Mm -hmm. what I like. But if you cut someone off and they have to tap their brakes, you're the jerk. Mm -hmm. So there's a good, there's a right and a wrong way to cut someone off. Well, I was thinking... Every I go on the I've been going on the ten freeway a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, th- there's always like it's insanity that thou- these thousands of people every morning 
they all have to have a perfect morning for it to work. And it, it's just not going to work statistically. Like, not everyone's going to have a perfect morning. And there's always someone, their car breaks down, yep, or they yep. just, like, can't do it. And then the whole artery is clogged. You know? Yeah. So, I, I think about that a lot. I think about that problem a lot. Like, mm-hmm. what if... What it costs millions of dollars every day if one person's car crappy car breaks down. Mm-hmm. What if we just said, okay, let's all pull in and maybe you know almost like make it part of insurance where we make sure everybody's car is up to date and yeah. and, and everybody's car runs because if one of those breaks down, we're all gonna pay. And it's not their fault, you know. They're just yeah. trying to get somewhere. But yeah, everyone's uh, trying to get somewhere. But then yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what the solution is. It's just constant war and drudgery trying to get anywhere in Los Angeles. Mm. But then other times it feels like a nice small town. Like I remember one of the last times I was driving around the city before I moved to Boston. Uh-huh. Um, I was driving around and suddenly, you know, Courtney Davis. Yeah. She was sprinting across the street. I think she was coming back from lunch or somewhere. And I had to, I slowed down a little bit. And then I said, oh, there's Courtney. And I waved, but I don't think she saw me. And then uh, a little bit later, I see you on a bike and I waved to you and you waved back. <laughs> and it just felt like a little town. And yeah. then I saw someone else. But it's funny how it feels like a little town in LA sometimes. It can feel that way. Yeah. Even yeah. though it's very big and small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. But, yeah. um, let's. But, uh, yeah, so, and then what, what, we met you through, uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade, and, uh, so what drew you to that theater out of all the theaters in town, like their Second City and Groundlings? Yeah, when did you start, uh, yeah, doing the whole Upright Citizens Brigade? Pretty early on, I think within the ecosystem. first year I came to Los Angeles. Do you guys know a guy named Roger Barr? Roger yeah, Barr. I do, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Roger, Roger is a guy I met at Comic-Con in 2006, I believe. And uh, we exchanged numbers, and he said, "Yeah, hey, if you ever come out to L.A., let's meet up, and, you know, we should be friends. I'm like, okay. So I did. I hit him up, and we became friends. And our first, like, bro date was uh, in <laughs> in uh, downtown in the Toy District, uh, which, if you guys don't know, for the listeners who don't know, the Toy District is one of the scariest places in L.A., uh, especially <laughs> especially at night. It is not what it sounds like. There it, are no toys? There are toys, but it is so depressing. Um, <laughs> the toys you get, it's like it's like a wholesale toy. So you're, you'll, if you want to buy, say, a lightsaber like that glows, right? Mm-hmm. They sell tons of those little trinkets and glowing light things down there. Mm-hmm. You can't buy just one. You have to buy a garbage bag full of them. <laughs> and I'm talking like literally a garbage bag. So you come out of there like... Uh, uh, with a with this like bindle and a garbage bag full of lightsabers that you bought, and they're cheap, like twelve bucks. Mm-hmm. And then that's where the people who sell them on Hollywood Boulevard to go. Anyway, oh, so okay. yeah, they they buy them from downtown at the Toy District. But at night, wh- I mean, it, as depressing as that is during the day, at night it's even worse because it becomes part of Skid Row essentially, mm-hmm. and it's just like gangs of homeless people walking around, and it's very scary. Uh, so that's where Roger and I went on our first <laughs> play date, and. He told me about the Upright Citizens Brigade, the improv theater, and um, we decided to go check it out, and he was the one who introduced it to me. Oh, okay. And uh, the very first show I ever went to was ASCAT. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was uh, brilliant. I laughed so hard. I, I wanted to learn how they do this magic. I thought, it's, this is the, the funniest thing I've ever seen. I can't believe they're doing this, and it's all off the top of their heads. i got to learn how to do this. Yeah. So I took a sketch writing class. And uh, that's where I met a lot of my really good, close friends today. Uh, and and I, took, I did that for two reasons. Uh, the first was when I first moved to L.A., I thought I had friends uh, that were closer than I thought, but 
when you move to LA, you learn very quickly. If anyone lives uh, more than a mile away, you'll never see them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially okay. if like the 405 is separating oh, yeah. you. Yeah, forget it. If you if you live on the on either side of the 405, you will never see each other ever ever. Um, <laughs> even if the houses are facing, yeah, yeah. You, I mean, side. skyping yeah. seems to be even an issue for some. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, so anyway, uh, so I, I took these. I, I realized I didn't have as many friends as I did when I first moved to Los Angeles. So I thought I this would be a good way to meet people and make friends. Mm-hmm. And the second reason I took improv was because I always felt like I was a shy person. I was very in my head. If you guys had really? met me 10 years ago, yeah, we wouldn't have be having this conversation. Oh, yeah? I, I had trouble looking people in the eye. I had trouble introducing myself and having conversations and, and going out and meeting people. And I thought, you know what? I need to work on this. This is something I, I don't like about myself, and I want to improve. Mm-hmm. And so I took improv to do that, and it helped a lot because there's nothing that'll get you out of your head quicker than standing in front of a room full of 150 <laughs> people with nothing to say. I know, yeah, but then after you learn all the ways, it doesn't feel as unnatural in a way, doesn't it? Like, no, yeah, it, it, it totally feels natural for me to be outgoing and engaging yeah. the way I am now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or That's, I try to be. <laughs> yeah, no, you definitely are. That's funny that so you didn't used to be that way. No, I was a very shy, shy person. A uh, very shy kid growing up, insecure, uh, yeah. But on the on the on, on your website though, you would always you'd write in a very yeah bombastic manner, mm-hmm. the, right? So that was always there. It was just like online. And it was online. It, it took a little while, yeah, to come out. Yes, to it the took real a world. It yeah. did take a while to come or out. Or not that that's not the real world, but a different form. Well, it's it's the persona. So Maddox is the persona, mm-hmm. and then George is the person. Yeah, and. For the longest time, I knew how to write as Maddox because mm-hmm. Maddox was like the idealization of of things that George wasn't. Mm-hmm. Maddox was this very strong, macho, six pack uh, womanizer who who headbutts his neighbors into cactuses and, <laughs> and makes his girlfriend change his car oil. Like you know, that's cool. That's Maddox. You know, mm-hmm. whatever. He's a fucking pirate. He doesn't give a shit. And then George is just like, oh hey guys. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I had to, you know, I had to develop it. In fact, the first time I went on book tour, when my first book came out, I was terrified. I had no idea how to present. I had no idea what, like how to talk as Maddox or any of that. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm a writer, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I know how to write. I don't know how to speak. And so, um, I remember I went to a book signing in Colorado where some of my fans, knew how to capture the Maddox voice better than I did at the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember the guy who announced me in the Borders, it was a Borders book signing, he came on the intercom and he played a sound effect of a helicopter <laughs> and, and gunfire. And he goes, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to alarm you, but we have an, a very special author coming in right now. We have our security forces trying to prevent him from scaling, repelling down into the building. <laughs> uh, we're going to do our best. We'll update you with the situation. And then, you know, five minutes passes, they come on like, ladies and gentlemen, we are, we are uh, uh, unfortunate to inform you that um, we were not able to prevent him from landing on a roof. He is coming down into the building right now. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Maddox. And this uproarious applause. And I walk up to the stage and everyone's super excited and pumped. I'm like, hey guys, thanks for coming to my book. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the lamest. He's <laughs> doing the sound effects like. Whoop, 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 whoop. Yeah, yeah. And this guy was killing it. And then I didn't even know how to follow that. I'm like, oh gosh, I need to work on this. I need to figure this out. Yeah, yeah. And it took a long time to develop the Maddox voice mm. and, and, 
to the to the point where like today it is you know it is where it is and I finally have that voice mm-hmm. but it took a long time and uh and and you feel like uh, improv kind of helped that in a way or yes improv mm-hmm. helped improv helped in in a number of ways um not necessarily to develop the Maddox voice per se mm-hmm. but in developing my confidence oh okay mm-hmm. uh, to the point now where I feel confident enough to walk up to anyone anywhere and have a conversation. I can. You just we. we I tested. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll be in a bar and I'll just be bragging about how cool I am <laughs> to friends. And I'm like, point to anyone. I'll go talk to him. You just point to anyone. I'll go. I'll have go have a strike a conversation. Mm, yeah. um, that was a skill that I think I developed through improv. I heard a thing. Maybe this wasn't you, but did you do a thing where you took cups? And, yes. Uh, do you call it cupping or? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> something like that. I, yeah. I'm a party crasher. Yeah, yeah, you would crash parties, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And throughout like Hollywood or up in the hills. Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those... Is it okay to to mention? Yeah, we can talk it? a little oh, bit about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I. The, so when I first when I came to Hollywood, I remember one night I was kind of feeling kind of dejected because I was at this party uh, yeah, with this girl, and it wasn't you know. She invited a bunch of other dudes over. I'm like, oh, this isn't a thing. So I thought, I got this text from a friend. He said, hey, man, you want to come to a, a, a party? I said, yes, please, anything. Mm-hmm. And so he invited me to this to this address. And I didn't recognize the streets because it was it was up in the Hollywood Hills. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, wow, this looks like it's a legit Hollywood party. And it's the first one I've ever been to. So so I go up there, and there's a, there's a valet at this guy's house, at this mansion, and there's a guy at the door with a list, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is a real party. Holy cow, this is a real Hollywood party. Gosh. And so, <laughs> I, so I snuck in with a big group of people, mm-hmm. and at some point during the party, um, I forgot that I snuck in, and I came back outside to talk to a girl. And, uh, and then I, while I was walking up, I thought, oh, no, now I have to sneak in again, except this time I, w- I happened to be holding a cup in my hand. And mm-hmm. so when I walked up to the door guy, he looked at me, and he looked at the cup in my hand, and they just gave me the nod, and I gave him the nod, and I thought, Oh, okay. So the cup is my passport to the party. <laughs> and so from that day on, I started driving around the Hollywood Hills with uh, red, blue, and clear solo cups looking for parties. Mm. And I would look and see what color cup they were using and uh, pull, pull one out from the back, pour myself a drink, and walk up. <laughs> That's great. I thought that would be a good way to meet people outside of my sphere of influence, which for the longest time was UCB and comedy. Mm-hmm. I feel like the UCB community... For better or worse, and this isn't a judgment of it, maybe a little bit, but <laughs> I feel like it's very incestuous. Mm-hmm. Everybody, you know, there's so many people who hook up with everyone. For a while, I was able to create a map. I could create, <laughs> I could create a map like one of those, you know, like who who's hooked up with anyone. And yeah, with like the people's heads and stuff. Yeah, with the people's heads and all that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And I didn't really want to be a part of that. Um, not, you know, no, no slight against it. A lot of people have found very successful and happy relationships from UCB. Mm-hmm. But I, I wanted to look outside of my sphere of influence, and I thought that party crashing was a good way to do that. Yeah. I like how, so that you're just completely <clears throat> calm, like an assassin or something, just like opening your trunk and taking the specific cup out. Oh, yeah. It's very Jason Bourne. Oh, man, you have no idea. It got, like, it got to a point where I, I became like a party detective. Uh, so I, if I was looking for a house that had a party, I'd, you know, I'd be driving with my windows down, listening for it. Mm-hmm. And then I, if I was getting closer, I would get out, I would look and see how many cars, the density of cars parked in the neighborhood. If they're mm-hmm. very tightly packed, that means the party's nearby. Mm-hmm. And if you want to double check and make sure <laughs> I would get out and I'd feel the hood mm-hmm. and feel if the car was warm or not. Mm-hmm. If the car was warm, 
That means uh, that the party, that these people just got to the party. Mm -hmm. The warmer cars mean they parked further away from the party. Mm -hmm. Because if you show up late, Mm -hmm. you know, you you don't get the good parking spot. So the the, the warmer the car, the colder the party. And so that's how I would try to track the car down. Stone cold cars. Stone cold. Exactly. And you're getting a lot closer. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. And and the sound, too. and And the sound, too. Yeah. Well, did you ever have a moment... Uh, where like it didn't work. Like, did you ever have them question the cup, or oh, yeah. was it always? Yeah, no, you know, I was always very honest. Uh, if I, a lot of times, I would, if I snuck into a party and it felt like it was a little bit more insular, it felt like it was more friends and family that mm-hmm. sort of thing. First of all, I would try not to go into those type of parties. I don't want to crash somebody's intimate affair. Mm-hmm. But if it's a big house party, I don't care. I'm just walking in. I'm just another, I'm another bro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and oftentimes what I'll do is I'll try to find the person whose house it is and the host of the party and just let them know. I say, hey, uh, listen, man, I was looking for a party. This wasn't the one I had in mind. Uh, but I brought beer. Is it cool if I stay? And uh, they're they're always really cool. They're like, oh yeah, man, that's cool. Because I I'm a better guest than most of their actual guests. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, in, in in Hollywood, especially Silver Lake, all these hipsters show up to parties with with fucking nothing but expectations and entitlement. Yeah. And I'm the I'm the one guy bringing party to a beer or mm-hmm. excuse me, beer to a party. Are you kidding me? Of course they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna invite me to the next one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah, there's a lot of ungrateful party guests out there. Yeah. And, yeah. I'm a. I try to be a good guest. Yeah. I try. I don't disrespect them. I don't. Uh, you know. I. I don't leave a mess. I. I just like to meet people. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. And what you said about the because it's funny. I had always heard that you did that. I don't know if Waylon told me or something, but yeah. 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 No, I know. Yeah, but um, it's funny what you said. Yeah, about the UCB community being kind of like its own little ecosystem of you know people hooking up and stuff. Yeah, I think that's true. And yeah, I think it. Like I, I like that community, but also it's healthy to step outside it. Yeah, and like you do, and see what else is out there. Yeah, as yeah. Well. Or else, because if you get too buried into, like, I didn't certain want places, then you just kind of you're on like a loop of the same old thing. Maybe. Yeah, yeah you yeah. don't. Uh, you tend to be exposed to the same ideas and same people. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to challenge myself and and meet people who were outside of my sphere of influence. Yeah. That's outside of my industry, yeah. And Josh is way outside of the, uh, yeah. the sphere. Yeah, I'm up uh, in just Vermont. up in the, the northern tip of Vermont, uh, an hour from the Canadian border. We're going to get uh, six inches of snow tonight. So, oh, Holy wow. cow. Yeah. He does donuts with his car in parking lots. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever I miss. That? Yeah, I miss that in Utah. In Utah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, got, we got some serious snow up there. We got like a foot or two every winter at least. Mm-hmm. Good, good snow out so there. So did you always enjoy it, though, growing up? Or were you kind of like, did you like having snowy winters? Or? No, I hated it. You hated <laughs> it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I liked it for mm-hmm. the first, like, you know, week mm-hmm. when it's, like, fresh and cool and everything. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then the, um, you know, the snow plows push it up against the side of the street, and you just get these embankments of just dirty ice. Yeah, and just it's, rock solid. Yeah, it's yeah, rock solid, where if you fell face first, in, uh, face, face first into it, you would do some serious damage to yourself. You're breaking teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the salt on the bottom of your car that corrodes everything, um, having to leave the windshield wipers up and scraping ice off the windows. I, I got sick of that pretty quick because we had some very harsh winters and very harsh summers. Utah does not have moderate mm-hmm. uh, uh, seasons. It's very harsh one or the very harsh the other. It's like the, the moon. 
Although the moon isn't hot. Oh, yeah, like the moon. Yeah, it gets very cold, yeah, on the dark side. The, yeah, the yeah. moon, yeah, it is very much like that. Yeah, yeah, Utah has no atmosphere, so that's a very, <laughs> yeah, it's a this very appropriate. Say. Yeah. Man, did, it's so did, dry, too. Did you ever uh, swim in, do people swim in the Salt Lake? Is that a, that's like an amateur question, right? Have you ever it, been in there? No, it's a, it's a, it's a valid question because everyone wonders like, well, Utah's got that big lake. No, it's, it's just death. There's nothing there. There's no life in the Great Salt Lake. It is just death. It reeks. Uh, because the reason it's salty is because there, there's a, there are no outlets. It's a bunch of inlets going into this big lake, and, there's, and, the, and the water just stays there. So it collects a lot of salt, and then this, the water evaporates, and it creates these huge, dry salt, salt deserts. And that's where I think Utah pre- creates something like 60 to 70% of the world's salt oh, comes from really? Utah. Almost every single car commercial is shot in Utah. You see those Lexuses driving down the desert, and you see the white sand the coming. The salt flat. It's yeah. salt. Yeah, they're yeah, salt yeah. flats. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and it is so dry. If you, if you can imagine miles and miles and miles and miles of salt, that sucks moisture out of the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And it is so dry. When I fly to Utah, as the plane is landing, I look at my knuckles, and it starts to crack. My oh. knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> you get out the lotion. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have to. It, yeah. it, my knuckles start to bleed and crack every winter. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Yeah, huh. but oh, uh, not in sunny California. You you have that nice ocean air blowing in on you guys. Uh, yeah, you, you don't yeah. have uh, dry knuckles there. I, right? I felt like kind of a jerk on the way over because I know you shouldn't do this, but it was like a really nice sunset uh-huh. with palm trees, and I did take a picture of it while I was. Tri- well, I was at a stoplight in my car. You were at a stoplight, and that's, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, I felt like such a tourist, but yeah. I just haven't seen that in a while. It's yeah. nice. I, no. I don't take it for granted. The no. things that people come to L.A. For, uh, for, I don't take for granted. I don't take the beach for granted. I don't take the weather for granted. Mm-hmm. I don't take the weirdness for granted. Mm-hmm. The fresh, uh, you know, every day I wake up, I count as a blessing. Like, oh, great, there's another one. I'm yeah. happy just to be alive. Yeah. That's, that's a great day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a good attitude, George. I'm glad you're attacking the days like that. <laughs> Thanks. I try. <laughs> yeah. Figures. Uh, and then, uh, did you ever, have you ever tried stand-up, George, like after improv? Did you ever dabble in anything like that? Or, I mean. You know, I, ne- I never really had an interest in it, but I did try it, I think, once or twice. A friend of mine said, hey, man, uh, in, this is in San Diego a couple years ago. He goes, hey, man, I, I booked a comedy venue, and we need some stand-up people. Do you want to do a set tonight? I'm like, I I've never done stand-up before. And he goes, that's, it'll be fine. Just write some jokes. Mm-hmm. And so I did. I wrote some jokes. But my jokes were um, <laughs> my jokes were kind of like, this was a very, very, like, uh, it, was like a li- it was like a hippie secondhand clothing store. Okay? And mm-hmm. I was in there trashing on environmentalists, <laughs> 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 trashing on vegetarians, <laughs> and uh, talking about how cool... Uh, you know, meat is and, and yeah. all this, and I don't think it went over very well. Uh, but it, I was definitely not the worst comedian. I was probably like <laughs> the the uh, third best yeah. of the night. Yeah, it's funny. So you could tell right when you got up there, you're like, oh, this crowd, they're not gonna, they could be into the anti-vegetarianism. <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I came down pretty hard on uh, on environmentalists. I talked about how environmentalists are like the only activist group where they annoy themselves more than people <laughs> like people outside the group mm-hmm. uh because they they are so judgmental of, of everyone including and especially each other uh the people who who identify as as environmentalists mm-hmm. uh so I, I i opened with with some statement or some joke like that i don't remember exactly what i said but i i i thought well it's too late to write new jokes 
not going to win this crowd over. Fuck it. And <laughs> when I'm on stage. You stood your ground. I stood my ground. I think I did okay. Yeah. That's the best way to go for a lot of things. I remember uh, one of the last improv shows Josh and I did before we headed back east was with you and Waylon McQueen. Yeah. At I.O. West. Yeah. Yeah, we did a show uh, where we were, like, reading out of a book, I think, while we were improvising. That's right. Yeah. yeah wow. And it was a lot of... I remember it was a lot of fun. Yeah, um, it is fun. And, um, yeah, I.O. West is... It closed down, I think, like, two weeks ago <coughs> or a week ago. Yeah, it closed their doors yeah. finally, yeah. But did you ever do stuff there or... Not, not very much. Mm-hmm. Um, at I.O. West, I.O. West, I always considered, like... What, whoever invited me to do anything, I would just say yes. Mm-hmm. I would just go try it and do it and just as a fun little thing. But it was not my home and it was not my community. Mm-hmm. My home and my community was UCB Theater. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think still is to a large extent, although I don't go nearly in a, as much as I used to. Have you been to the big new one? Yes. On Sunset? Yes. Yeah, it's crazy. Huh? Yeah. It's just like a huge box, huge yeah. cube. Uh, I, I mean, I like it. It's funny, though, but... It, I do like things that are small and underground more. Yeah. Th- that's always what I've liked since I was little. So seeing something big and like very. It's uh, imposing. Yeah. It's just different, you know. It's it like, is different. Josh, mm-hmm. have you been to the new one? No, I actually haven't. I've been to LA twice since it's been built, but I always just, I don't know, it doesn't work into the schedule. I drive past and I'm like, damn, that's a big neon sign. I want to go in there, but I haven't yet. So. Yeah, it's, it's big and, and uh, I don't know. I feel like it. I feel like it's not it, it, the the main stage at the new UCB theater feels a little bit colder than the than the old one. Uh, the, there was something I liked about the Franklin. Oh, it's fine. Yeah. Oh, okay. About the Franklin mm. Theater, just how people when they were sitting on the sides of the stage. Do you remember? Like, yeah. They just be, sometimes they'd just be eating like a little pizza or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It just felt like more of a living room. And the first, yeah. the very first improv show I ever went to, that Ascats show. Um, uh, I we were the last ones admitted, and we sat on the front on the stage. Mm-hmm. And the girl I was dating at the time was uh, complaining about her back. She had like you know some back pains or something. She kept she couldn't sit comfortably, mm-hmm. and she kept like fidgeting and fidgeting. And finally, the lights go out, and she she whispers to me. She goes, "I'm gonna go stand in the corner." I'm like, "Don't don't do it." Don't do it, please. She goes, I'm going to do it. Well, right the lights are out. Yeah, well, the lights are out. And then yeah. the lights come on. Matt Besser and Matt Walsh Matt Walsh walk out on stage. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to do their intro. They're like, guys, welcome to the Upright Citizens Brigade. Welcome to ASCATS. And then, and then she, she stands up and walks across the stage <laughs> and goes to stand at the wall. And I'm like, oh, my God, what are you doing? And then Walsh and Besser just stop the show. And they're like... Excuse me? What are you, uh, what's this? What's going on over here? What, you know, Besser, what's going on over here? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, she goes, nothing. And he goes, well, why'd you stand up? You don't like the show? And so, <laughs> and so she's like, no, no, the show's fine. You know, it's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, no, what's, what are you doing? And she goes, and they pull up a chair, one of the performer chairs. They sat it down in the middle of the stage. And he said, why don't you come, you, you were, you're, and she goes, and he goes, why, why'd you stand there? And she goes, I'm, uh, I was just uncomfortable. He goes, why don't you come sit here? Here's a chair for you. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so she gets up and sits on the stage, and they start interviewing her. And he's like, who are you here with? And she goes, my boyfriend. And she points to me. And he goes, you're dating that guy? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, I'm just waiting for this. And then she's, they start interviewing her, trying to find out who she is. And Mm -hmm. she was basically the monologist. And um, then at the end of it, 
when she's, you know, they're ready to kick her off stage and, uh, you know, okay, go enjoy the show. And she's like, can I have a, a t-shirt? And, the, and <laughs> like, oh no, what are you doing? What, just stop, just stop. And, and like Besser and Walsh look at each other and they're like, yeah, I, I guess you can have a t-shirt. You know, give this, get, and he called to the uh, front late, the uh, intern or whatever working at the front and he's like, get her a t-shirt. What, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh man, I just wanted to bury myself. That's funny. That was my first ever UCB, my first ever improv experience. I still thought it was an amazing show and it was magical and, uh. Yeah, that was my introduction to That's so funny. That's uh, that was always my <clears throat> my biggest fear when they would when I'd go to those first I never wanted to be called on because yeah. I I don't mind being in shows, but right. like when people for some reason are uh you know, yeah, like call on me during like whether it's stand up or something, I just I didn't used to be comfortable with it. I yeah. think I'm more comfortable now yeah, like yeah, as yeah. I'm older, but Yeah, cuz you know how to yeah. handle it now, but yeah. as a, as an audience member, it's it's just terrifying like deer in a headlights i don't want to be that guy yeah oh no take the spotlight off me <laughs> yeah yeah now now obviously with improv training you guys you know you both know how to handle that yeah i'm more comfortable yeah. now and then it, it well that's funny and then after that did you decide to take the sketch class like after that yeah or? i took the sketch class with my first ever teacher was colton dunn oh yeah colton yeah colton. oh he's great yeah he's uh, great he's a great dude now we're, we're friends we're uh, friends and i'm friends with his uh, his wife and uh yeah, everything's everything's great. He's a solid dude. I love Colton. He's such a solid solid dude. I like that guy a lot. Yeah, I remember you'd always we'd go over to Camp Hollywood and yeah. say hello. Colton's yeah. house there. Yeah. I remember I would sit at Camp Hollywood with Colton, Susie Barrett, uh, Jordan Peele would hang out there, and mm-hmm. we'd stay up all night playing murder. And I'd be so tired in the morning. I'd sleep in my car before I had a chance to to, to drive home because I was just exhausted. <laughs> and Jim Woods, uh, when like... they were all living in that uh, at that place, and then uh, so you do marathon sessions of murder and stuff. Yeah, like, we'd uh... play murder all night with Marissa Strickland, Eileen She, a uh, bunch of like anyone who was around would come over to uh, Susie and Jim Woods' house. And uh, and and Colton would would show up sometimes. It was a lot of fun. That was great. Yeah, it was kind of like <laughs> I don't know, almost like the community center or something. Yeah, no, yeah. not that, but I don't know. It was it was yeah. fun. It was uh, those are fun times. Yeah. Definitely, definitely a sense of community that I feel like has changed. It's different now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I guess when things just get so big, you know. And then my first ever mm-hmm. improv teacher, um, I, you know proper improv was uh, Drew DeFonzo Marks. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he was he was great. He was fantastic. Uh just a, the perfect teacher, I think, for one oh one. Very nurturing, uh very supportive. It it used to be funny that yeah, for those classes you'd just go to random little rented spaces yeah. around town. Now it's all consolidated in the big sunset place. But Yeah, I guess you... I, I haven't taken a class there yet, but yeah. I, I did when I came back. Yeah. But uh Oh, you know, I did I was just remembering for Ascat when you went to that first one. Did they do the bucket of truth where you throw things? Yes. They turn the lights down halfway through and people just throw things on the stage? Yes. Uh, Josh and I used to go watch it. And one time, who was there? Uh, Tim Meadows, I think, was there yeah. that night with those guys. And they turn it off. They're like, we're going to turn the lights down. Like, this is the bucket of truth. Everyone throws stuff out. So I, I had gotten like a chocolate bar and I threw that on the stage. Mm. Um, but then someone, the lights came up and there was a Ziploc bag. And it was either a real piece of human crap or a fake one in oh. a Ziploc bag. And <laughs> And Tim Meadows goes like, oh, no, what is this or something? And then I think they kind of retired the that little After section that, for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. it seems like a 
terrible idea to do for a bit in Hollywood. Yeah. It's just a matter of time. I mean, people mm. would usually the joke was people would just throw joints on the stage and then mm-hmm. some money, some spare change. Yeah, some I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah that was that was it, funny. Yeah. But then I think either because of stuff like that or someone I think would throw a bag of cocaine or something on the stage is like, whoa, we got to pump the brakes on this. This is, <laughs> yeah. is going to get us in trouble. Yeah. I think that's what happened. Like well, that's what, is I, I remember hearing, uh, I think an undercover cop sat in the crowd one night and, cause there was just like, everyone was drinking like in the crowd cause there was no, uh, you know, they weren't clamping down on it. So people would just bring six packs and drink in the audience. And yeah. it was just turning into a kind of wild crowd. And a cop came in dressed, which was great. I, I, I want to see who this, uh, what he dressed like though, if he wore like a don't think hoodie and like <laughs> Chuck Taylors, you know, and he's like, Oh, I can't wait to watch Asket. And then he, afterwards he talked to, uh, I don't know the theater director, and he's like, "You, you can't. You gotta, you gotta check." Oh, people. so he wasn't on duty. He was just kind of watching it for fun. Or? No, I think he was on duty, like sent there because someone blew oh. the whistle or something. But huh. that's yeah. funny for the LAPD. Like, you don't. I don't think that would be very high on their list of things to take care of. You know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. if it, if they can shake someone down for some violation or something, they will. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's a theater, mm-hmm. you know, they can they can do that. And then they started clamping down on all the all the fun stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then you went through the classes. Yeah. Uh, you tried out for a Herald team, right? Yeah. And then yeah, we all got on the same year, right? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah, a Herald team. Yeah. Right. Do you yeah. remember? Uh, did you remember anyone from trying out that you would still know today? Yes. That you tried out with? Or? Yeah, absolutely. The, you, you mean the year that I got on? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my my group was an amazing group, and every every single person got on from my group, my callback group, except mm-hmm. for one person. Oh, wow. And I felt so bad, and the person was Lelon Bowden. Oh, yeah. And Lelon was fantastic, and mm-hmm. Lelon did such a great job, and I feel like, I feel like um, she deserved to be there more than I did. Because my callback sucked. <laughs> and I'm not just being, I'm not even, this isn't even like George being, having an air of humility. This was like, objectively, it was bad. Uh, even Alex Fernie told me, like he was one of the <laughs> people sitting in. And I'm like, yeah, my, my callback was terrible. He goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but maybe it's also kind of like they've seen you and yeah, yeah that's that's why they, they said, know you what know, you they, can do they, yeah. exactly. Yeah. They said that we all have off scenes and off shows. They know that I've been doing the work. I, I, I mean, there were nights I was there seven nights a week. But Lelon was the only one in for my group. My group, I think, also had um, uh, Jack Allison. I think was in it. Maddie Smith. Oh yeah, uh, I think was in it. Um, I think Wayland was in my or in- was Wayland in your callback group. He may have been in mine. He must have been in yours. Yeah, yeah. and then we had, I think I had... Were you with oh, Jake Szymanski then? Because Waylon was yeah. with him, I think, for one of them, I don't know. But Maybe. Well, I remember everyone from my callback group getting on except for Lelon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I felt so bad. And I remember when we were all getting our callback notifications or that we, you know, our notifications, we made it onto a team. I remember talking to Lelon. She goes... Yeah, she's and she's so positive. She was she's never like an, a bitter or angry or resentful person. She's just like, gosh, I, I'm gonna be a little bit sad, I guess, if if I'm the only one who didn't make it from our callback group. And she was, and I was like, oh gosh, I can't. It was such a terrible time of year. Um, it's the only time I've had a negative, uh, like a holy. I've had a mostly positive experience with UCB. Mm. The only time I had a negative experience is around Harold auditions and callbacks, mm. because the people who make it onto a team, uh kind of have to have a hushed celebration. 
mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people who tried really hard and didn't. And they're very and, and there's the full gamut of emotions. Some people feel very entitled to be on a team. Mm-hmm. Some people uh, get resentful and upset. Some people have a healthy attitude, mm-hmm. but it's the entire gamut of emotions. And there's people crying and people upset and people swearing off improv and, and threatening to go back home. Mm-hmm. So if you're around that, it's hard to celebrate. Mm-hmm. It's hard to feel proud of your accomplishment. And also, you, you don't know. Like, I, I tried to explain to f- my friends who didn't make it on the team some years. I'm like, listen, don't feel bad. This isn't, it's not a, it's not a statement of, me being more talented or, or or deserving of the spot than you or anyone else, mm-hmm. for that matter. The teams are put together by different personality types that they decide might work well together. Mm-hmm. It's a combination <laughs> of traits that they decide, yeah. not us. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of talented people who deserve to make it onto teams, more, sometimes more so than me, I think. Mm-hmm. But they're not necessarily... It's not a comment. It's not a, uh, a rebuke of your talent and your skill and your ability and your personality. It is just their their decision, their best hope to put together the, the best team that they think they can make. Yeah. Yeah, I think Josh and I were together, you know, and we were, I think we got kind of lucky that we were able to do stuff together in the process, you know. Yeah. So, because it, it was easier, you know, with Josh because we know each other so well. and Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I know what you mean, though. Yeah, it was like a quiet celebration and then you yeah. kind of meet all these other people you don't quite know and then you're put together yeah. Into like a, a crew, yeah. My Herald team was was kind of a, a rough start. We were the only nine person Herald team. Mm-hmm. And uh they added one other person at the very end and it was like a weird dynamic. We were not all new people, we were not all old people. We were a mix of old and new. Mm-hmm. And so there was a weird dynamic there. I mean there mm-hmm. were people in our team that were actively coaching people on our team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh okay. Yeah, so that, that was like, like very weird. During during uh, during not during the practice, but you mean like outside before, that in other yeah. outside, yeah, before, yeah, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that would be that's a we yeah, it's a little. Uh, we were lucky you, in that we were all first timers, uh, except yeah. for Becky, I guess. But mm-hmm. that's right, yeah. yeah, yeah. And did you ever feel? I know, like when we first started doing it, I had never really because I didn't do a lot of plays or anything in high school or anything. Mm-hmm. So doing that was like the first big time, like being in front of crowds and doing that and i'd feel like really bad beforehand i would i would get sick <laughs> before we went on did you ever did you just feel normal or was it kind of like you'd done other things like that beforehand or? i i felt okay only because i i had been practicing so long and so hard with fancy schmancy that was my my home oh, right. group yeah mm-hmm. that was with waylon yeah. mcqueen anthony soiki amber mcdonald and deborah tarika and we practiced religiously every week yeah, for you guys two years. Were great. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, we that was that was the team actually I had most of the fun with and the one I looked forward to most. The improv team, the, the Herald team was everybody on my team was was excellent. They were fantastic in their own right. Like everybody brought something to the table mm-hmm. in uh, different capacities. And I loved my team. But we I don't know that we were necessarily the best team to work together. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I Jake Regal was on my team. I remember the first time <laughs> Jake Regal and I stepped out together to do a scene. We both did the same kind of awkward, stilted silence. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, we're both kind of playing the same way. <laughs> this is, yeah. is going to be interesting to see how this works. Uh, it, took some, it's, it took some time, but it was a fun experience, except, except the only time I felt pressure and I didn't have fun is if Besser was watching. Mm. If Matt Besser was watching, I felt pressure. 
I felt like I was being uh, judged, which, you know, to be fair, he does judge and it's his theater and he's, you know, allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was the only time I didn't have fun with with the Herald team. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it did get weirdly competitive sometimes, especially if you didn't, if you got a a, a month where you only had one show, Mm -hmm. that felt bad. Mm-hmm. Or, or you, know, you know, maybe like two shows. Mm-hmm. I felt like there was sometimes there, you know, there could have been some favoritism for different shows and the sort, of, you know, that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. it is what it is. Nobody owes you anything. I had, I had uh, overall a pretty, pretty positive experience. Yeah, I always like you were always really good at. Um, you would calmly you hit the game, like break it down, and you would like, and then heighten like it seemed effortless for you, like in terms of like taking the game and you would get it, you know, really quick. And oh, then, thank you yeah. so much. Yeah. yeah. And like, I always enjoyed watching that. Like you would take in all the information. The other person's like, da, 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 da. And then you would like, in a way, like boil it down, repeat it and then be like, let's, let's figure this out or like explore it more. Well, you know, I hope so. so. Yeah. I mean, that was my goal. I, yeah. I tried. And sometimes, man, sometimes I came out and I really botched it. Uh, someone would establish a very clear game and I would think it was something else. And then as soon as I go off the back line or I'm tagged out, because the scene didn't, wasn't going anywhere, I realized, oh, he was doing something else or she was doing something else. I totally, I totally blew it. Um, but I had a lot of fun on my team. I, I really enjoyed playing with Sissy Fenwick and mm-hmm. Ann Maddox and uh, Ben Seaman was amazing. Monica Smith was on my team. Jeff Sloniker, uh, just amazing guys. And I really enjoyed watching you guys too. I know that I don't want to like, this just sounds like I'm blowing sunshine up your guys' ass, but you guys are so much fun to watch as well. Oh, thanks. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, it was pretty fun and, I enjoyed doing it, and yeah. it's funny. A lot of the people you were mentioning, they're still out here, right? Yeah, like not too many have left. I don't think. No, a lot of they're them are still, still out here. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. If they're not doing improv, then their careers have taken off. Uh, I noticed, it, like in your newest book, "Fuck Whales," <laughs> <laughs> I could still, I could see that uh, that kind of logic and yeah. and debate skill happen, like with your podcast too. Yeah, the greatest debate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you always been that way in terms of like? Like, did you ever debate people when you were younger or, like, use logic all the time? Or? That's all how I've always been mm-hmm. uh, since – actually, no, since college. College is what changed me. And mm-hmm. that, and I, I can tell you the exact time it, that it happened. It was a class. It was a, a writing class. Mm-hmm. And um, when I went to college at the University of Utah – because I would never had formal debating skills. I never had any formal debate or anything like that. I went to college, and I had a, um, a writing placement test. And at this time, I was like already, you know, starting my Maddox thing a little bit here and there. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, I, I can write. No big deal. So I did this writing placement test. And they put me in the most remedial writing class possible. They said, I failed. They're like, you, oh, really? Oh, yeah. They're like, your writing sucks. You got you to take writing 101. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, oh, okay, I guess. I don't know. I'm just a boy from Utah. I don't know. I'm not going <laughs> to argue with the dean. Yeah. Well, so they put me in this writing class. And this guy walks in first day of class. I don't think he was wearing shoes. He walks in, and the first thing he says to us is, some of you may have noticed that I look like Karl Marx. That was not an accident. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, like he's really going to, like, blow your minds or yeah, something? I, yeah, yeah, I guess. So. I don't know. This guy, uh, I remember this guy's name, John Charles Duffy, and yeah. he, he was <laughs> one of the most amazing professors I've ever had. Oh, yeah? He was constantly, I think, oh, through the course of the semester, he was, they threatened to fire him three or four times. <laughs> <laughs> because he he refused to teach the curriculum. He goes, they want me to teach you guys this thing, which is the curriculum, which I which I don't think you guys need to learn. You guys need to learn other things, which I'm going to teach you. I don't care what they say. the the uh, The curriculum be damned. And so he taught us critical thinking, 
And that was the first time I'd ever been exposed in my adult life to critical thinking. I didn't know what this phrase was. What is critical thinking? Mm-hmm. Well, it's essentially questioning everything. Question everything you see. Everything you see. Like uh, an advertisement in a magazine. He said that if you look at that advertisement, it costs you know, tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars to put. Nothing in that advertisement is a mistake. Every single thing is positioned there for a reason. And then, and then we looked at like mm-hmm. a Tide ad, and the Tide bottle was kind of tipped sideways. And it, and, and it goes, look at the way your eyes follow the bottle. And then look at the way it follows the, the pour of the, of the detergent. And then, and then it leads you right to the slogan that talks about the product. And then that leads you down to the paragraph, and that talks about what – because everything in there is visual. And so I started thinking like that. I thought, wow, yeah, that's true. I should be critical. Mm-hmm. I should question everything. I should ask questions. And that's what got me down this path of writing essays. And I, I wrote this one essay in class that was perfect. It was, and I call it, to this day, it's my perfect essay. And that is essentially the template of everything I've ever written since. I, I, you can find the, every, every single article I write, every single rhetorical debate I have, every single argument I make can be traced back down to this one essay that I wrote. And... Uh, I, I still have it. I still remember it. Where, oh, what's Did, it about? Where, yeah, where is it? Do you is it online or? It's not online. I've never shared it. It's kind of like my little secret. But, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> it's my. Per- I was the only person in class to get an A uh, for this assignment. Everyone he graded everyone very harshly, and he gave me an A. Oh, he said it's it a great essay, and I call it my perfect essay. Um, did did it did it come like did you finish it quickly? Did it just kind of you're like this makes sense? Like I know how to do this. As soon as you started writing that essay, I listened to what the professor was doing. I wrote a draft. He didn't like it. Uh, he gave me notes, and I went back and I fixed it. And uh, and then I, I finally clicked for me. I realized the the essay uh, structure. He said essentially you have to make an argument up top, make three of them, mm-hmm. and then. Support your arguments with evidence, mm-hmm. and then give a conclusion. And so I'm like, well, that's very basic essay structure. But mm-hmm. I did just that, and it was perfect. And the essay that I, um, it was an essay about an essay. There's a guy named Albert Nodelman, and he wrote an essay, I think in in Reader's Digest, called uh, um, "Surfacing Hidden Assumptions in Children's Literature," mm-hmm. and he talks about surfacing hidden assumptions. Uh, like in, in all sorts of books and, 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 you know, things about gender and things like that. And he had a very critical view of children's literature like Pinocchio and uh, Raggedy Ann. They said, what does it say about gender? And what does it say about this and that? I said, okay, well, let's turn his own tools against him. And I did a critical analysis of this guy doing a critical analysis. And <laughs> I really, like, deconstructed it in a way that was very satisfying. And that's what got me the A. Oh, and oh. I've done that ever since as Maddox. Oh, that's great. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I could, listening to your, I was listening to an episode of your podcast uh, just recently about uh, the, and the, the format, now that you've said that it's, uh, it's apparent that you, when you're debating with a therapist about whether or not to have children, yeah, you, you were, yeah, you like outline your argument and then you keep hitting it and uh yeah. <laughs> yeah, and many times she'll go, I can't I can't uh disagree with that. Yeah. But yeah. Do you find with some guests you'll you'll turn them to your side by the end or Yes. Yeah. And it's it's the it's a very difficult format actually. I've kind of like painted myself into a corner with this format of this fucking show. Um <laughs> <laughs> The Best Debate in the Universe. It's a debate themed podcast, okay? Mm-hmm. So first of all, the biggest challenge is finding a guest who can debate 
whatever topic you do, you guys decide to debate. So oftentimes I used to just like, Hey, this is what I'm debating this week. Come on in. Mm -hmm. And if I was debating something about like bioethics or if I was debating something about uh, child rearing, I would find very quickly if the guest didn't know anything about it, it was not a very fulfilling debate. So then I thought, okay, now I have to ask the guest, what do you want to debate? And then we tried to decide something together. Mm -hmm. Finally, once you have that, then they have to do a good job of the debate. Because if they don't, then I'm just sitting here spinning my wheels and the guest is uh, hemming and hawing, <laughs> you know, and, and, and ums and uhs, and it's a shitty debate. So I have to do research on both sides of the debate. I have to have an argument ready for them. And then essentially, if they don't do a good job, then I'll bring up, well, what about this point? Yeah, and, and then I have a it up. Yeah. yeah, and then my my co-host uh, is is the moderator, and he kind of helps get things back on track, especially if I start arguing their points for them. Mm. So uh, yeah, Josh, back to what you're saying. There is that structure, and um, I it's my hope that they do a good job of the debate, and most of them do, especially since I changed the format. I changed the format of the show so that we decide a debate together, and uh, we've been doing a lot more roundtable discussions and things like that. Yeah, I, I liked uh, how you brought up the point that uh, children can be used for labor. Uh, yeah. If you just have want to have some tasks done around the house, that's uh, yeah, you know, it's a point in favor of having kids, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> that's but, something. Uh, that's something like yeah. If I'm if I'm trying to make arguments for why you should have a kid, you know, it's really interesting. I think asking someone to defend something outside of their wheelhouse. I was mm-hmm. tricked one time on the podcast. One of my guests. Um, I'm famously critical of McDonald's, hate McDonald's. And so my guest suggested that we debate McDonald's. Should you eat McDonald's? Mm -hmm. And uh, this guy I know is a fan of McDonald's, and he knows I'm not. So Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, this will be easy. I'll just talk my talking points. He, The day of the podcast, he came in, and he pulled a bait and switch. And he actually changed his position. He says, no, I'm going to defend that you shouldn't eat McDonald's, and you defend that you should. (laughs) And so I said, okay. You really want to do this? Let's do it. <laughs> and I hit the ground running. And I did a really good job of defending McDonald's. Oh, yeah. And, I, the, and I'm not saying this is me blowing sunshine on my own ass. Like, objectively, the audience, I have an audience uh, vote on which side of the debate they think won mm-hmm. uh, at, on my website. And they unanimously agreed that I, th- I did a really good job of defending McDonald's. What was, like, a big point? Like, affordability or taste well, or... Uh, yeah, affordability, convenience, taste, and also that it's just capitalism and it's a business trying to survive. And also um, that that belief that McDonald's food, you know, um, people have those pictures that go viral on the Internet where people are like, oh, I forgot a McDonald's burger in my pocket for 20 years and it looks just the same. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> the reason those those hamburgers don't, don't uh, decompose partially is the preservatives, but that's not the entire story. The truth is those burgers don't decompose because they're dry. They don't have a lot of moisture in them. Mm-hmm. Things without moisture can't decompose. Mm-hmm. That's why sometimes I'll leave pizza on the counter. And my, uh, you know, I've had like roommates and friends be like, "Oh, aren't you going to put the pizza away?" I'm like, "No, it's dry. There's <laughs> nothing. It's dry, man. Yeah, There's, it's not going to rot. If anything, it's just going to go stale. Who cares? It's like the guy they find in the peat moss. Y- y- what? He's dry. It, oh, or, or rotting? Like or a, a mummy? Yeah, 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 exactly. Like yeah. mummy. Yeah. yeah. So, so if you have something dry. It's not going to rot. And they've mm-hmm. done tests, and they actually found that that's a myth. Um, you know, the McDonald's, the thing with the McDonald's, mm-hmm. if you cook a home-cooked burger, 
you are using fresh ingredients. You're using buns with lots of moisture in them. But if you use buns with, that are drier, like mm-hmm. a like a brioche or something like that, mm-hmm. and you cook the patty so that's more well done, it's a drier burger, and you'll have the same results as a McDonald's burger. Oh. We oh. used to try actually when I was a kid. I'll admit this. We'd go home and I'd try to replicate a McDonald's hamburger because when I was a kid, I actually enjoyed them. Yeah. So we would like, I would wrap up a hamburger in paper and smoosh it down uh-huh. <laughs> so it was paper thin. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was trying to simulate, but uh, yeah. Oh, what is it? Now, what is that debate show at UCB? Donaldson runs it. Um, Tournament of Nerds. Tournament of Nerds. Yeah. And you've done... You've done some of those, right? A bunch of those, yeah. Yeah, you've won the belt, right? Yeah. 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 Do you have any favorite uh, character? Because we were talking to Mike Carlson about how he's done quite a few, too. Mike Carlson's amazing, Have you ever squared off against Carlson? I have, I I believe. Oh, yeah, I have. And I got really... I won against Carlson one time, I think, for the uh, final round. Mm -hmm. And that was at Comic-Con. And I got really... I was very fortunate. Because I had gone up against... Yeah, I've gone up against Carlson a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. I went up against Carlson during a tournament of nerds at UCB theater where he was Dr. Doom. Mm -hmm. And I had all these notes and jokes written and prepared and everything. And I got knocked out in the first round. So I never went up against him. Hmm. Well, then years later at Comic-Con, we happened to be going up and he was playing Dr. Doom again. Mm -hmm. And I still had (laughs) all these notes and stuff prepared. Thank God, because I didn't have time to research. Mm -hmm. I was working my booth at Comic-Con. So, Mm -hmm. Uh, so I got to the final round against Mike Carlson mm-hmm. and the final round is usually the weakest uh, for those who aren't familiar tournament of nerds. It's like, you know, a debate show where you have one minute each against a competitor mm-hmm. and then you have a 30 second rebuttal round and it's a bracket of eight contestants and you get down to the final two. Mm-hmm. I was in the final two against Mike Carlson and out of nowhere, I pulled out my old notes for Dr. Doom. And I had jokes ready, and I had material ready, and I had a laminated picture of the person who defeated Dr. Doom, and it was <laughs> Squirrel Girl. And everyone's gasping, and they're like, oh, my God, this guy, ha- he's on fire. He has all this material. He has all these jokes. I was, like, riffing on uh, – I was, like, pulling up all these jokes I wrote for Dr. Doom. I'm like, yeah, I have these. Thank God I can still use them for something. And I won that round, and uh, Mike Carlson's like, wow, I didn't see that coming. I'm like, well, you know, to be fair, I wrote these a long time ago. <laughs> the first time I went up against you and, and – lost so oh that's funny that, that was you lot, had them yeah yeah that was a lot of fun that was a, that was a really good good time yeah uh, we remember seeing your booth down at comic-con yeah i was down there uh wearing the mitch uh suit oh that's year. right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i haven't seen <laughs> mitch are, in a while yeah he's around yeah he's doing great he's doing yeah. the uh, doughboys podcast with nick weiger mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. they talked yeah. about mcdonald's i think i'm sure yeah. i'm sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but um, uh yeah comic-con's fun though i remember uh when we were down there uh, I forgot what year it was, but we went to, I think, the after party or something after the, you know, that was closing out Comic-Con. And then heading mm-hmm. home to the hotel, uh, there was a Princess Leia, I think, making out with Batman, like on the steps <laughs> of the convention center. And I was like, yeah. this is pretty, this is great. This is what a Comic-Con should be is. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. But they were doing like, have you seen the photo of the sailor with the yeah. woman when he comes over from the war? They yes. were doing it that way, but not to be funny. It was just oh, kind just of happening real. that way. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Comic-Con's yeah. bizarre. For anyone who's not, who hasn't been, if you, even if you're not into comics, you should go at least once just to check it out. It's weird. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. I remember the, one of the first years I went, I was going down the escalator 
with a bunch of stormtroopers. And on the other side, there was an escalator going up with a bunch of Klingons. And just <laughs> as they're passing, <laughs> one of the stormtroopers turns to the others and they're like, they're like, Star Trek sucks. And then the Klingons <laughs> got all pissed off and they all did their Klingon war cries and started cussing them out in Klingon, of course, which nobody understood. And it was the most surreal thing. And I'm like, why is this happening? Why is this a thing? Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Very bizarre. Yeah, I'd like to go down again. Yeah, take the train down. It's coming up, right? Yeah. July? July or August, yeah. Yeah. I think end of July. It's a fun... The train's a way to do it, if Mm -hmm. you can. Yeah, I heard uh, in a panel, uh, the writer for Game of Thrones... He kept asking them what it was like to do sex scenes. Uh, he kept asking, like, uh, you know, the panel discussions. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. They're just all. A fan was asking that? Uh, no, he was asking the author. George uh, R. R. Martin. R. R. Martin. Oh. Yeah, yeah. He kept asking the actors and actresses what it was like to do his sex scenes that he'd written. And uh, oh. I don't know. I just think that's great. That's funny. That's yeah. really, it sounds like a really awkward conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were like, think- well, you know, we were actors. We weren't having sex. Like, it, we were <laughs> doing a scene because we're actors. And he's like, but you liked it, though, right? But yeah, you like that I put few. you in that sex scene, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they, yeah. And I actually met uh, Joe Jusco. I don't know if you know Who's him. Joe Jusco? Uh, I used to collect these Marvel Masterpiece cards when I was a kid, uh-huh. and I just see his name on one of the little panels you go to. So Was he an artist that made Yeah, them? he would oh. paint all the uh, Marvel characters oh. on cards, and I collected them when I was younger. Oh, that's so cool. It was funny to meet the guy that like made those cards yeah. that I used to like yeah. love when I was little. That's yeah. neat. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and then so we did Harold, all of us, and... Mm-hmm. We we finished doing that. Yes, <laughs> we, yes, we, we did. Told yes. Yeah. <laughs> we, we did finish that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah. Then let's see. And now, and so you've always you've been here like three years, right? So yes, you've always been the. Or I've been. Well, I don't want to. Yeah, say where you are. Yeah, yeah. I've been I've been in LA for for ten years. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Oh okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think, and you and you like it here. You think you'll say. Have you uh, ever wanted to go, like, live anywhere else in the world? Or Yeah, I've definitely given it thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would definitely consider living someplace else. I don't know. L.A. is a very weird place to live, and it's a, it's a hard town to live in mm-hmm. um, for a number of reasons. It, it's just very difficult. You're, you know, the battle of parking is, is everlasting. You really have to consider how, many, how much groceries you can buy, uh, depending on how much you can carry sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to consider... <laughs> The time of day you go places and, uh, you know, the, the climate and all sorts of different things and uh, different events. The taxes are very high. It's very hostile towards businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot There's a lot of things that makes it difficult, and it's very difficult, I think, to start a family in L.A. Um, for, mm-hmm. you know, it's very cost prohibitive in a lot of ways. So those are the downsides. But that aside, I, I do like it. I, I, I feel like um, the weather's very nice and, and, uh, there's a very, some very nice people I've met out here and made some really good friends. Yeah. That's kind of why I wanted to come back. I, yeah, I kind of missed the community. I know you, we were talking about like the community, it's good to branch out too, but yeah, I, I, I do like the UCB community and it's fun it's and of, it's nice. Yeah. 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 It's funny. I see you have a best dad ever mug. Oh, oh best. <laughs> yeah. When you were talking about like families and stuff. Yeah. Like, I have a best dad ever mug. Yeah. Um, I needed a mug really bad one morning because my roommate broke mine. Mm. And I went to the dollar store looking for anything that was the same size. And the only thing they had, it was right after Father's Day, it was a bunch of best dad ever mugs. Mm. And so I just (laughs) bought one. And uh, every now and then I'll forget that I'm drinking out of it on a stream or something. And they're like, Maddox, you want to tell us something? I'm like, no. (laughs) No, don't be an idiot. Just a mug. Just a mug. Shut up. (laughs) Well, uh... Would, do you think I could uh, 
do a segment that uh, we normally do a segment in the show called Stacked or Whacked. Uh, would you be up for that? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, sorry we're, t- we're keeping you so long. No, it's yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, this is called uh, the segment's called Stacked or Whacked, and Travis says it's kind of corny, but I like doing it. And uh, okay. you know, it's uh, I, I pick a category, <laughs> and then I pick three items for that category, and I present them to you one at a time. And I'll ask each of you: is is this item stacked or whacked? And then you have to say why briefly. Uh, free, okay, and free stacked job. is good. Right? Stacked is, is good. good. Whacked, okay. is, whacked is, is got yeah. it. All right, let's do it. Okay. All right. Uh, this category is Guinness World Records. Uh, okay. okay. So first one for you, George, is uh, this is the tallest living man is named Sultan Kozin, and he's 8 feet, 2.8 inches tall, and he's a farmer from Turkey. Is that stacked or whacked? Hmm. That's whacked. His life is not normal. He, everything he's doing, he, everything he's got to do, he's got, everything <coughs> his life is is misery. Are you kidding me? That guy can't date. That guy's probably got achy knees. Uh, and, and he's a farmer. Can you imagine bending down to pick anything up? Yeah. Unless he's like a tree farmer. Why? <laughs> what, what do you guys think? What do you say, yeah. Travis? Stacked or whacked? For Sultan Kozin, well, eight now, foot. Now that you mentioned that, if, oh. if, if he is... If he runs an apple orchard, I would say stacked. Stacked as hell, because he can just, like, walk around plucking all the apples off the trees. He can, okay. yeah. or has to. Because if he tells anyone else on the farm to be like, hey, can you go pick some apples? They're like, oh, you're the mm-hmm. tall one. Yeah, yeah. You're really, if I mean, he, it's your job. But, yeah, I guess if it was something also like potatoes, he would need a really long hoe. Uh and mm-hmm. probably it would bend a lot like a pole vaulting pole. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I would say stack, though, just because, I don't know, there are, there are what, 7 billion people on Earth? You yeah, know, he's standing billion. out a little bit. He's 8 feet tall. Yeah. Okay. He, All right. Yeah, so yeah, we, got a, we got one whack for George uh, and stack for Travis for Sultan Kozin. The eight was fo- I not supposed to tell you my argument before so I don't poison the well? No, no. Because I, I kind of feel can, like... Okay. Oh, no, no, it's fine. Right, you can right, just good, go for all right. it. All right, so uh, number two, item number two in the Guinness World Records for Stacked or Whack. Uh, George, this is the longest human tunnel traveled through by a skateboarding dog uh, was done by Otto. A uh, British bulldog from Lima, Peru, went through the legs of 30 people without touching them or being assisted in any way. And I've watched a video of this, and he does it very <laughs> artfully. He doesn't even touch the legs. Uh, and he glides so far. You can look it up on YouTube. Otto the skateboarding dog. So is that stacked or whack, George? Okay. Before I answer a technical question, did the dog accelerate himself, or was he pushed? He he keeps uh, three legs on the skateboard, and he uses his front paw, sometimes two paws on the right side, to push himself. And then he coasts and he leans to steer the board. Oh, okay. I was gonna say whacked, but now. If the dog knows how to actually skateboard and he's accelerating himself, I'm going to say that's stacked. Yeah. That's okay. stacked as hell. Although, although I don't like that they, that they um, define a tunnel as a bunch of legs. I, that's, not, <laughs> that's not a tunnel. Yeah. It's uh, just Guinness making up, uh, you know, categories, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know? when you first said tunnel, I was thinking like the channel or something. Yeah. yeah like something underground. An cavern. actual tunnel. Yeah. 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 And it also like stated they all have to be facing the same direction. That's part of the record. They have to be facing the same direction. I wait, wait. So this has been attempted before? I guess, apparently. But huh. So you, you, you say, <laughs> you're saying stacked, George? I'll say stacked. I'll say stacked. Okay, stacked. What do you say, Travis? 
Yeah, I think I've seen footage of this dog, Otto, and I'm yeah, I'm gonna have to say stacked. I mean, the fact too that he doesn't touch any of the legs. Does he veer close? And sometimes he's correcting, like he knows if he hits them, he'll be slowed down. I think he just takes pride in his skateboarding because yeah, he comes close, but I I didn't see him hit anyone. So so it's maybe like an innate thing. Like he just has a sixth sense where he can control the board. I, yeah, that's really stacked. Okay, two, I think that's two, great. All right, two stacks for Otto, the skateboarding dog. <laughs> uh, and finally, the last item uh, for stacked or whacked: uh, the first person to break the sound barrier in freefall was uh, Austrian. Oh, what is his name? Uh, he was an Austrian guy, and he jumped in that Red Bull suit. Uh, 38,969.4 meters, which is 24 miles, and he broke the sound barrier, and it cost $20 million uh, to do this for the project, to get him up in a weather balloon, in, you know, in a little bell, and then he jumped out in a spacesuit. Is that stacked or whacked, George? Oof, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, I, rem- I think I, re- I remember when he, fu- when he first did it, I thought it was pretty stacked. But then... Uh, and I thought, you know, that guy's never going to buy another beer in his life. Everyone's going to buy him a beer. I think his name is Max or something or yeah. Otto or Max. Max, mm-hmm. I don't know. I forget. But um, then when he landed, he was, I, I think he was kind of a douchebag about something. <laughs> what, I, right after he landed? Yeah, yeah. about something. And, uh, and then I changed my mind and said whacked, although it's a very unspecific whacked. Because I don't remember what he said or did, but I remember thinking he was kind of douchey after he landed. Okay. Yeah. All right. So he. So he, So is it a tentative stacked then? You're saying tentative stacked. Yes. Okay. Tentative stacked. All right. And then what do you say, Travis? This guy broke the sound barrier, which I think is <laughs> is that Mach one. I think. That's Mach one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it made like a boom, maybe a little boom. He made a little boom. I think. <laughs> a little toot. <laughs> like, oh, he probably did. He yeah. farted, farted well, a little bit. Going, but what I this is an important question for me. Did he have to pull anything or m- do any action to like pull the chute? I think it was hooked to the altimeter because you oh, can pass been out doing man. that. So. Could he have been a sack of potatoes? Yeah, yeah. He could have been a sack of potatoes. Because I see, like, if he didn't have to do anything and all he had to do was fall. Uh, you, I mean, I guess he still had to jump out, though, and that's that's scary. Yeah. Like, jumping out of a balloon way up in the stratosphere? I mean, he <laughs> did it, and then uh, any number of things could have gone wrong, but it was a ver- as safe as it possibly could have been, and the suit he was in was oxygen, you know, it was pressurized and oxygenated, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I do think uh, what Josh said is correct. It was triggered by the altimeter. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I will say... I will still stay stacked because he still had to lean his weight forward, but it would have been more stacked if he had like to pull a cord or something yeah. like that, you know, because it was kind of automated. So that's kind of cheating. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Well, that's, uh, let's see. We have, uh, there was only one whacked for the, <laughs> the eight foot tall farmer from George. Whacked. Uh, yeah, that was whacked. We had two double stacks for the human tongue tunnel of auto and the, the sound barrier guy, between the two of you, well, what's more you stacked? For the sound barrier guy, did you do stacked or whack? I said tentatively stacked for the sound barrier guy. Yeah. Oh, okay. So between Otto, the skateboarding dog, and the sound barrier breaking freefall man, what is more stacked? Who is the winner, you think? Oh, man, I hate giving it to a dog, so I'm going to go with the human. <laughs> I'm a speciest. 
and and the dog like as impressive as the dog is skateboarding through a tunnel of feet um <laughs> the guy <laughs> risked his life and also it's pretty cool and he got into space the dog could never fucking get to space the only way a dog could get to space is if a human put him there yeah that's true that's true but i'm going to counter with Okay, the parachute was automated for the human. That was one degree step away from the placing the dog in the balloon and having a little hand, mechanical hand, push him off the balloon, <laughs> <laughs> and just having his little dog body fall and have it automated open up. So yeah, I think so, I will. So you're gonna <laughs> is it a, give it to the dog because he's it's controlling the board, whereas the guy. You know, I, I mean, look if this if this sways the vote a little bit. Who gave a better interview after? Hmm? The human. The human. The human. That's right. The All human right. gave a great interview. The dog gave no interview. I'm jumping, I'm jumping in. I'm calling the human. Uh, the human skydiver You're right. That wins. sways it. And humans yeah. made the balloon and everything. Humans made the, the balloon dog, and the skateboard. The dog is riding on something made by humans. Exactly. So you're, you're, you're yeah. correct. Yep, okay. Yep, yep. I'm going to the yes. human side. Ding, ding, you ding. Winner. Me. All right. Yes. right. Yeah. Red Bull guy wins yeah. for the Stactor Wax. Yeah. All the, right. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, so yeah, that was a that was a that was a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank yeah. you. I think yeah. we we went over a lot, but I think we could uh, we could have a round two someday if you wouldn't mind. I'd love yeah, that. Yeah. yeah, this is super fun. Yeah, and thanks for letting us. Well, me come to the studio. Yeah. and all that's really cool to see. Absolutely, yeah. and I'd I'd love to have you guys on my podcast as well sometime. Oh yeah, it'd yeah. be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah I'd be into that. Let me know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well. This has been George Oz with Josh and Travis Wyman on Stacking Wood. Stack that wood, baby. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Bye. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh.